Hey, y'all, we want to take a second here to go ahead and give a shout out to our favorite mortgage lender and the official lender of the Hunlifty podcast. That's Casey Burns. He's a mortgage broker with Prime Lending. I bought my house here in Colorado with Casey and I refinanced the property in Tennessee. And I was going to use Casey for that because I had such a great experience. And Casey told me, hey, man, like I'll be straight up with you. I can't. I can't match this other offer. So go with these other guys. Well, I went with those other guys and I regretted it. It was like a three month process for the refi. When I, when I bought my house here in Colorado, it was the easiest transaction for real estate I've ever had in my life. He handles everything. Like he has the heart of an educator, the heart of a teacher. And that's why we recommend him. I've known him for 10 years. I was best friends with his brother in college. I'm still good friends with Casey to this day. And we, we recommend him because of how good he is. So if you want to utilize Casey, give him a call, find out any information. Give him a shout at 919-710-1864. Or you can also reach him at email at casey.burns at primelending.com. And also go check out his website. Get all of his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt With Deep podcast. We're here for episode two of gear talk yeah, we're here for <laughs> for butt stuff and what uh, <laughs> oh dude i just had a i just had a <laughs> complete mental fucking fart there yeah episode right, two just, of just just pause it and then restart it i'll use this for the the outtakes one <laughs> that, was, that was weird i'm gonna spice it so you go we're here for and then pete just goes butt stuff <laughs> <laughs> What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt Lift Deep podcast. This is your ho- co-host, Perry, along with your host, Luke, and our special guest, Peter Sunderland, back for episode two of all things gear, talking gear for a uh, backcountry hunt, um, kind of doing a breakdown of Luke's kind of intro into what you will need. So how's it going, guys? It's going well, man. Glad to keep rolling with uh, with this discussion. What's up, Peter? Yeah, what's going on, guys? I've honestly learned a lot on the last podcast we did together about gear, and I'm, I think I'm going to learn even more based off the the notes that I'm looking at Luke has over his shoulder here. So I'm excited about it. The reason this podcast is significantly more structured than it's ever been is because this is the first time ever I've taken copious notes <laughs> prior to starting. So huh, baby funny steps. how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll try this more, but. 30 episodes in. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Before we get started, Luke, Pete, um, when we were talking off air a little while back, um, Pete was talking about some of the some of the differences in um, you know military kind of field craft and and some of the prep and training that you guys have learned as part of your your uh, your military career and versus you know how that translates to to um, being in the backcountry for hunting and and we touched on a couple of specifics on the last episode, but Pete, just kind of give us a breakdown of your initial impressions so far. Um, what you were describing earlier and um, some of the, the differences and, and similarities there. Yeah. So, uh, I, so I've never been on a backcountry hunt. I've been backpacking and I think I've been on a, like a three or four day or and, and stuff like that. And then obviously been in the army for what, six and a half years now. And if I could say anything to anyone that thinks they know about um, that, that has been in the army or military and thinks they're ready for field craft and all of that, there's, we underestimate the safety net that we have um, both in the military, but the fact that you have one, just people around you, uh, that's a huge one. Um, and two, like you're connected um, basically at all times to a, a support network of uh, 
you know, medical support and, and uh, like food and water and, and all that stuff. And then on top of that, um, you're sort of prescribed like what to take and you don't have to do a ton of thinking for yourself either throughout your day about what you're going to need um, or how to pack it or what to bring. And once the doors kind of fly off the barn on um, both what you could be doing and what you could bring um, for, for whatever you're doing, it, shit gets a lot more complicated. Um, and so I would just encourage everyone to, I've, as I've started to dabble into this, I've had to humble myself and realize like, Oh shoot. I actually, the army is very, just taught me very little about sanitizing water and how to pack my own food and all that, because all they do for food is toss a damn case of MREs at you <laughs> and say, figure it out. Like fuckhead, uh, <laughs> like that's it. You don't have to actually plan your calorie intake and everything, you know, but uh, so yeah, it's been a huge learning curve for me learning from uh, Luke and Perry here on this stuff. Well, and not even just the and yeah, you do have a huge safety net with medical support and like just personnel that knows where you are and they're always tracking your movements. But you have, in some ways, like an emotional like headspace. Like you're never going to quit, right? When you're out there with everybody because you're part of the platoon, you know. And us as you know, well, it's true. <laughs> There are guys that will, but we won't even talk about them. But for the most part, like the guy that once, once you're in your platoon, like you're training, you're doing your shit, or even when you're in your training, like early on, it's just not really an option. And it's been, and a lot of that is because of the peer pressure to not quit, right? When everybody is around you, uh, when you're by yourself, it is way easier to talk yourself down off the mountain. Um, all the rationalizations come into place, good and bad, right? You got to have both. And so, like, for instance, last year, I came back from a hunt early because where I was at and the, how rugged the terrain was, I realized if I did kill an elk, I was by myself. I didn't have cell signal. I had nobody on standby to come help me pack it out. I was going to end up putting myself in a pretty bad situation. Um, and so I had to have that like, hard conversation with myself and it was a struggle because it's like in my head, I'm like, am I being a pussy and just like trying to come down? Cause this is shitty. Cause it's steep and it's long. Um, or is it that I'm actually making the right decision based on, all these factors. And honestly, I think it was the second there, there's a, probably a certain level of like, this kind of sucks. Um, but for the most part, it was fairly unrealistic for me to kill that out, but you can, you can find yourself in those situations. And like a backcountry hunt is 90% mental, just like with most things that are hard and you're going to go out there and it's, it's daunting because you're like, I'm looking like if it's elk, right. You're, you're looking for elk and they move faster than you. They move better than you. They're, they know the terrain better than you do. They know where they want to go. They want to be in the shittiest, hardest terrain. And like, it's daunting to try to find them. And so you've got to understand that and know in the back of your head, like your headspace has to be right. And you have to be very kind of goal oriented and know that you got to push through this. And in the army, it's a lot easier because you've got guys all around you and you don't have a choice. Like Pete was saying, you don't really think about anything. You just, even when you're a leader in the army, like you get your mission handed to you and then you go, you're not planning it from scratch. Yeah, I think that's a valuable perspective that you guys share there. And and when you were mentioning that earlier, Pete, I wanted to make sure we we worked it in here because it's one of those things. A lot of people, you know, have this idea of of, um, of the military training and, and and the things that you guys do as part of that. And you know, there's there's a lot of value there for sure, but it may not necessarily be something that would translate, you know, apples to apples to um, the conversation at hand here. And so I, I thought it was something 
just kind of good for for guys to be thinking about if if they are in that position where they you know like you Pete you've got plenty of experience with that but this is something that you're kind of getting ready to step into um just you know having that that awareness you know being humble about it and the open mindedness and then the preparation to um be proactively thinking about your gear doing your diligence on what you're going to need and um and making sure everything checks out which you know brings us to um to the topic at hand which is continuing the gear discussion and um what you should be considering for for these types of backcountry hunts yeah so we can roll straight into into shelters all right so uh just to recap for the last podcast we we covered clothing um, everything from your layering systems down to your you know socks boots uh we talked about packs we talked about bino harnesses cook stoves food and then water purification and and then how we store and purify that water um so we're gonna roll into shelter now and so there's a few different options um that you, that you can have and there's pros and cons to all of them. So one thing in the army that we do a lot, the infantry, especially in the light infantry and in the mech world where I am now, it's a little bit different. We have, cause we're riding around in big vehicles. We have a little more, we can take more shit versus living out of our bags. Uh, we would just sleep in bivy sacks. You wouldn't even put up a tarp or anything. You just have a waterproof sleeping bag. You throw your tarp over your ruck. Usually I would put my ruck at the top of my head and then pull the tarp over my face so I could then sleep in my face exposed. And I've been in some pretty hellacious rainstorms that way. Um, usually you're so exhausted, you just sleep through anything, but it's not ideal. Okay. So uh, there's people that like to do bivvies, I guess, but like for this, I would not recommend it. Uh, you're going to end up getting a lot of your shit wet. It's not that comfortable um, in the army. It's kind of like a necessity because we're moving light. We have to be able to roll our, Roll, you know, break down camp very quickly to, to keep moving and patrols and all that. But when you're backcountry hunting, having a tent and at the very least a tarp setup is is ideal. And so you're seeing the rise in popularity in tarps. Um, I got my first tarp when I was in uh, in high school and was big into backpacking on the Appalachian Trail because it was super light. I had an Etowah Outfitter Silla Nylon tarp. I still have it. It's cool. Uh, you can do a lot of different configurations with it with a trekking pole, um, but they're limited, right? So you get your, the floor is going to be exposed and then it's not going to like zip and close. And so they're better for better weather in areas that don't have bad bugs. Um, but I do take a tarp with me anyways, because it, they're very versatile. If you get caught out in a rainstorm, setting up for shade or setting up for um, shelter while you're glassing or just a quick field expedient shelter by taking a lightweight tarp. So I highly recommend a tarp being part of your kit. If I could chime in on the tarp thing too, because that's actually, that's what I used to um, and what I used it for, for Campbell. And actually we, man, I slept in like, it was a tail end of a hurricane that we had blown up and I slept under the, it was an Eno rain fly that I run. And I, I got, I think I got eight hours of sleep that night and everyone else was just like miserable all night. And I was crawling out of that thing, you know, all rested and everything. But the one thing that would, that will fail you, is if the ground is wet, like Luke said, because the floor is exposed, or especially in snow, like that—that that is not a, like you—you you gotta have a. That's that's where that whole system starts to fall apart. Heavy wind too. They don't respond well to heavy wind. Um, it's going to be single walled, so you're going to get condensation if you're getting a high level of humidity and temperature fluctuations. So there's definitely cons to the tent setup or to the tarp setup. Excuse me. Um, what you're seeing on a lot of companies now, and I've got one. Um, uh, from Nemo 
uh, Nemo basically has historically specialized in mountaineering gear, but they teamed up with um, First Light to produce a couple things kind of tailored more towards hunting. But they really just took some of their pre-existing things and threw First Light's pattern on it, if we're being completely honest. But it's still cool. And it's, uh, but it's called the Spike. Let me find here. Yeah, it's a Spike one person. And so it's essentially a robust tarp. Uh, it's got a floor, it can zip, and it's got a fly, or it's got like the awning, but it's a single wall tent that you use the trekking pole in the center uh, for the support. And then, but you can stake it down. So it's a little more robust and a little uh, kind of sturdier and more like built out more than a tarp is. But there's still some limitations. I used it on one of my elk hunts uh, last year, and the condensation was terrible. So anytime, granted, I was sleeping in an area that was probably not the best for the level of moisture that was there, but it was kind of in the middle of like a snow melt and I was in a low area. So I could have probably picked a better spot, but like my entire foot box on my sleeping bag was soaked because of the condensation from the single wall. And so that's something you have to be very, very uh, cognizant of. And that comes back into gear testing prior to going out there. Another option is just a normal tent, like a three to four person tent. And so what I've got is uh, the Nemo Kodiak two person. Uh, it's not really a two person. You'll, you'll find with most of these backpacking tents, when they say two people, they mean like two very, very skinny people laying on top of each other. Um, big wide fellas like me and Pete, they're, they're not two people. Uh, but I, I like this tent a lot. Um, it's got an awning on the front for your rock and some of your gear, trekking poles that you can leave out. If there's enough room, since it is quote unquote two people that you've got room on the inside and it's a pretty robust and hearty system with the tie downs and, um, the stakes and everything that you can, it's, it's, it's built to withstand a beating from the elements and with the wind. And until you've been in a tent and super high winds, you don't understand how important that is. Uh, cause it is pretty terrifying if you're on a mountain and you're getting just shellacked with heavy winds. I've never experienced wind like I have until I came out West. Um, so that tent was, is awesome. I like that a lot. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of other tent companies. One of the top end ones is like a uh, Hilleberg makes great tents. Um, I liked Nemo because they did have like a 50% or something like that military discount, which is super cool. Um, but yeah, you guys got anything on tents? The one thing I would say is just, um, know that, that like, well, a couple of things. One know that the sizing may not always be kind of, true to true to the advertising um that's just kind of always been standard operating procedure could you fit two people into that if you absolutely needed to yeah but it's pretty cozy but you know the vast majority of the time you're going to be by yourself anyway in this in this uh in this setting and then two um having that um having that that structure that can withstand the elements whether it be those super heavy winds um if you are in a situation where you're anticipating having to, to make camp with snow on the ground or, um, with a wet, a wet ground. Um, it's something that it's something that and the technology has gotten a ton better. There's, there's a bunch of good companies out there. Um, I, I remember listening to one of the, one Aaron Snyder's podcast while back and they were doing a, a pretty detailed, um, breakdown of, of some of the different tent options out there. And so he works with Hill, uh, Hilleberg. Yeah. So it, it's one of those things where um, you're not going to regret it. If you find yourself in the situation, can you get by with a tarp or something a little bit more basic? 
um, a little bit more lightweight. Um, a lot of times you probably can, but there's going to be certain scenarios where you're going to want that, that true structure. I'd, I'd say the only thing I've got to add on tense is uh, Luke mentioned it with the Nemo, whatever the Kodiak there you got is having a space to put your gear under a covered area um, in Colorado, not a huge deal. Uh, but even if you don't have a tent, like making sure that your gear is covered by your tarp or whatever it is that you're sleeping under, that's almost as important in my opinion as making sure you yourself are covered because there's nothing worse than waking up to your boots being wet from dew or anything, or, or like, like you got a little sprinkle overnight, uh, and, and everything got wet. I'd say that is as much of a priority as the tent itself is making sure that you can keep your gear covered. That's a great point. Cause like in certain areas, especially with high humidity, you can have a morning dew that is worse than a fucking ra- like it raining. Like some of those dews in Georgia, like your shit would just be drenched and you're like, son of a bitch. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Keeping that. So like in knowing like when to use, which system is also very important. So like, my recommendation would be like if I'm going out or like what I personally would do is if I, if I know I'm going up and I'm going to do like a five day trip, I'm taking my Kodiak two person. All right. It weighs four pounds, three ounces. I've got an extra um, footprint that I take. Uh, that's an extra eight ounces. So my total weight's like four pounds, 11 ounces for my, for my shelter setup. It's not the lightest setup on the planet, but it's also one that with one, I know that the bottom of the tent's going to be protected because in Colorado, there's a lot of rocky areas. Mm-hmm. And so to extend the, the longevity and life of my tent, I, I bring that footprint. Uh, it's worth the, the eight ounces, I think. Um, and I know I can anchor that thing down and have it set that it's going to withstand some pretty heavy winds. And I'm going to be comfortable living out of there. If I need to sit there because weather gets bad and spend a whole day in there, I'm not going to go fucking crazy. I can move around a little bit. I can hunch over. Like I've got some room to like be solid. Um, with the spike, one person... I would take that if I was, if I knew I was going to be setting up a base camp and kind of like a a robust base camp with the truck and having like a bigger tent and, you know, kind of fighting out of the truck in like a certain area. And then we're just going to go out from there. I would take that with me as kind of a contingency for one, if I got into either a bad spot, like late, um, or if I decided that like if I was elk hunting or something and we got, if I got on the elk and they were moving, and I needed to keep going further and I wasn't going to make it back that night, I would then have the option to have a, a shelter that wouldn't be ideal, but it's only weighing in at one pound, 13 ounces. So it's coming in very lightweight. It's going to run on the support. It's going to be off a trekking pole that I'm already probably carrying. And so that's going to give me the option to spike out. That's why it's called the spike, right? Um, but it'll give me the option to spike out if I wanted to and, and still have a, something that's better than the tarp. And then the tarp, the other tarp, I would just take that just one. It doesn't weigh my Edouard outfitters. One doesn't weigh shit. I don't even know what it weighs, but it's nothing. And so I take that, that that's in my day pack. That's it's in my truck. Like I, it's just very versatile. I always have that for a quick field expedient emergency shelter. Yeah. That's one of those things that could honestly be part of a, uh, you know, just your, your average everyday emergency kit. Um, any contingency, something that should be there. It's not adding hardly any weight. Um, and I like what you said about having the the option for the light the the lightweight option with that spike. If uh, if you are going the the robust base camp, that makes sense. If you're anticipating potentially getting on an animal 
and not being able to, to come back. Something I might have to consider for my Idaho trip. Yeah, it just gives you some options, you know, um, which which is always good. And like for the tarp thing, so uh, Victor and I, my buddy Victor, we went up scouting last year for elk. And it was one of those September, August, it was actually, actually probably about this time uh, last year. And we got a really bad storm. I mean, it was hail, rain, and I grabbed my tarp. We threw it up. We sat on the tarp for probably 45 minutes. I heated us up some coffee and like, we were good to go. And you know, he was just commenting. He was just like, cause he, he's pretty young to the, to the hunting game and especially the backcountry hunting game. He was like, man, that like just like, gave me some confidence because if I had done that, if that happened last year, I would have just walked back to the truck and left. Like, but just having the right tool and like knowing that field craft to know, like it's pretty basic, but like a lot of people don't know, like if, it's just, if you're just out and it's, you get a freak storm, you don't know what to do. Like you got to throw up a shelter, like, like know how to build a quick tarp shelter and get stay dry and comfortable and that's just going to give you confidence and as you start to build these experience these experiences you get more and more confidence with what you're doing up on the mountain yeah 100 percent. again it all comes down to the, the head game and if that's one one more thing that you can use to keep your head in it and in a, in a uh, in an adverse situation it's it's gonna it's gonna be worth a few extra ounces all right we can roll into sleeping bags um so one one thing to really note on a sleeping bag, just like with tents saying two person versus what's not really two two people, is the the ratings on sleeping bags. There's two different types of ratings, and certain brands will have one's a survival rating, and then one's a comfort rating. And so you need to kind of understand if like if a bag is a 20 degree bag, is that comfort or survival? Are you not going to freeze to death in 20 degrees, or are you not going to are you going to be comfortable in 20 degrees? Um, and that's something to really look at and understand because it's it, a big it's difference too. Yeah, huge difference. <laughs> yeah, comfort and survival, not not the same thing. Hundred <laughs> percent. You can be, you can survive and shiver all night long, and you will not sleep a wink when you're fucking cold. I've yep. done that. I've been that cold laying in there. I've also been so cold that all I wanted to do was just cuddle with my buddy. Nothing's gave. It's under thirty degrees. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I mean, it's it's a real thing. Like once you get like. You get so thirsty that you're willing to drink out of an elk wallow or out of a fucking cow trough. You get so cold that you just want to get naked and hold a dude. Like it's it's real. Like once just, you've had those just dudes, yeah. <laughs> once you have those, oh yeah, you, just, you want something with somebody that will meet. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, yeah, not not Perry. <laughs> no, I'd be looking for you, Pete. Me, me and you'd stay nice and toasty. Perry'd be fucking frozen to death. Man, that's the best news I've heard all night. <laughs> you say that because you've never been truly cold. I know, um, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. You've been cold till you look another man in the eye and tell him to get closer. <laughs> oh man, but yeah. So as far as sleeping, yeah, bags, sleeping bags. Uh, <laughs> so I think a twenty degree bag is kind of the a baseline for like where to start. Um, if you're only going to buy one sleeping bag, buy a twenty degree bag, uh, and then you can go from there. Like I have a summer bag; it's a forty degree bag. It's super small and lightweight, but a lot of times I don't even take that one. Um, and then having the, I have a 20 degree bag and then eventually I'll get a zero degree. I've just been waiting. So I want to buy a really high end one for that, but I'll talk about some hacks later. So you can make, you can kind of stretch the rate in your bags too. So well, actually I was going to ask you about that, but is, so is that rating like you with not in a tent with any, any other, like without a wind block, uh, like what, like, you know what I'm saying? Or is that, is a 20 degree bag, like stretch you to zero if you're in a tent, 
that has a, a rain fly over it that's protected from the wind. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. So uh, honestly, I'm not. I'm not sure on whether it, if they factor it in like being in a tent or being like exposed to the open air. I would honestly assume that it's in a tent, but I, I don't know. Um, and I, I don't know for sure on, so I have a Nemo bag, just like the tents I've got. I don't know if Nemo's is a comfort or a survival rating. I haven't really pushed it. The coldest I've probably been in it was 30, 30 degrees, but I've been very toasty. Actually, no, that's not true. I wasn't, I was, I was in that bag in negative some negatives and I got cold uh, during iron strike last year. We had like a wind chill of negative 15. Oh dude. Oh, it was so cold. It was so cold. Oh, I was God, in a so vehicle, cold. but the door was open. The hatch was. And so the, the metal actually made it colder. It was very cold. Um, but anyways, so the Nemo scout, it's a synthetic bag. So you can get two different materials for a sleeping bag, synthetic or down. And the um, down is going to be lighter. It's going to be warmer per ounce. Like, so the, it's going to be warmer per the weight and then it's going to pack way smaller. Uh, a drawback is if it gets wet, it's fucked. Like you will, you will not get it fluffed up again while you're in the field. Um, synthetic is heavier, not as warm, doesn't pack a little more bulky, but if it gets wet, it'll keep you warm. And that goes to your point earlier, Pete, which is no, no, the kind of the complementariness of the gear that you're taking. If you, choose to go with a down bag which historically i've always used a you know same 20 degree down bag um but you're right you better keep that damn thing dry um you better make sure if that's the bag that you're counting on you might want to consider a shelter that's going to provide you the space to protect that sleeping bag um in the event that a major storm comes through or you have you know soaking wet ground conditions um because, or just condensation on like yeah, a single wall. Exactly, because unless you're just, you know, unless that next day is super warm and, and windy and you think you're going to be able to air out your sleeping bag while you're sitting there glass on a hillside or something, um, it, those down bags, once they get wet, it takes them a minute to dry out and they lose the vast majority of their functionality. They're great. They're absolutely great. But just, you know, know how, know how those things are going to fit together. Yeah, hundred percent. And like Luke, you were saying earlier about like uh, some people don't like running babies or anything like that. But I'm an advocate of unless it's there's snow or rain on the ground, just having a tarp. That's what I use when I camp and stuff. But I always would have a bivy with that. Like you know what I'm saying? Where okay, you might not. You can absolutely get away with the bivy if you've got a really good tent with a rain fly on it. But that's really only under those circumstances. So like you're saying, Perry, you got to understand how your gear complements each other or itself whatever words <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so um yeah those are the materials right synthetic and down there's trade-offs to each um i run a lot of synthetic uh, bags just because i tend to think worst case and i'm not a i'd rather carry a few more ounces than have a soaked down bag um, especially like in winter if it's a summer trip like sure don't really give a shit but when you start getting into the real cold winter months. But I will also say I've never gotten my bag soaked other than my foot box getting wet and I dried it out pretty quickly. Um, so it's one of those things like how big of a threat of getting your bag soaked is it actually? I, I've never gotten my sleeping bag soaked in the army or in uh, my own personal pursuits. Whatever. I never so have you. Well, I got a question for you guys on, cause this is, I've heard mixed opinions on this and I know mine, but when it's really cold, 
do you sleep naked in your sleeping bag? And this isn't like a haha question. Like what, what do you actually wear when you, when you go to bed? So yeah, I was going to talk about that for like kind of the hacks for the sleeping bag, how to stretch the, uh, the warmth rate in your bag. And so I, first I do not, uh, sleep naked. I used to, but, um, there's, there's actually a, a bit of a myth to that. So like, what, what Pete's alluding to here is uh, there's it's put out a lot. You hear it in the army, you hear it all over the place. It's like, hey, you should sleep in your sleeping bag naked. All right, so the sleeping bag itself doesn't keep you warm. Your body heat heats the air within the sleeping bag, and then your the sleeping bag is essentially like think of it like a cooler, right? Like it's an insulator. So it's it's you're, you'd be laying in a yeti, right? And you're you're keeping it hot, or you're keeping it cold. It's the same thing with the sleeping bag. And so your body heat is what's heating the air. Well, if you're naked there's less in between for the air when your body, right? And so you, theoretically you can heat that up quicker. However, you still have less layers on. And so you're, you're going to be colder. And so like having an extra layer on, isn't going to, so like I wouldn't, I've slept in all my shit before because I was very cold and it was cold outside. So that's what one thing you should do before you get in your bag. Typically I'll try to do just base layers. Um, maybe even just drawers. And sometimes if I feel like I'm, it's not that cold and I just need to air out because I've had the clothes on, I will get in there butt naked, but that's really just to let, let everything air. But if it's cold and I'm trying to stay warm, I'll do my base layers or, and then move up from there. But prior to getting into the bag, walk around camp a few times, do some sets of push ups, some squats, mm-hmm. get your blood flowing, get some of that fucking, uh, your core temp to increase, then get into your bag. You can also use your, when you're heating up your, uh, dehydrated meals, stick those down in there and it'll heat up the air in your, uh, in your foot box. So make sure that that shit's sealed. Um, but you can use it. That's a tip that I stole from Aaron Snyder, but, and he, he also talks about the, the warming up, but I used to do that in boy scouts. My scout master would have us do pushups and shits so like that. That really helps out a lot to, uh, to get your bag warmer. The other thing I'll do definitely wear a beanie. Okay, because you lose a lot of your heat from your head. And even if you have a mummy bag, everybody pulls their head out while they're sleeping. And then um, you can put your I'll put my down on sometimes. And so I have like my puffy suit is basically a almost a down sleeping bag in and of itself. And if I have that on, I would be very comfortable in my sleeping bag. That's 20 degrees, probably down to zero or below with that. If I had everything on because that puffy is doing the exact same thing that your sleeping bag's doing it's acting as that insulator to keep all of that warm air between you know the surface of your skin and the jacket itself right there and if you are doing some of those things you get your body temperature up um you get in that sleeping bag quickly thereafter you use you know your your uh your meal bags to heat it up um then that's taking care of the sleeping bag that puffy is going to be one extra layer of insulation something else i used to do a lot in cold situations even if I wasn't so much worried about, you know, extreme cold, just making sure that you weren't going to wake up in the middle of the night with, um, you know, with cold feet or cold hands. If you, you know, if you're an active sleeper like I am and you reach out of your sleeping bag in the middle of the night, um, we talked about losing heat out of your extremities the quickest the last episode. Um, make sure you have a good pair of dry uh, socks or even gloves if it's cold. Um, the base layers as long as it's not base layers that are saturated with sweat all day um, and they're good and dry when you actually get into the bag, those are just, you know, things that are going to ultimately increase the effectiveness of that bag. 
Well, and on that note, you could, you'll actually – now, this is all based on the temperature outside, right? So you don't want to, like, freeze because you did this. But if you do have damp base layers, you can wear them in the bag, and you will actually dry – you'll dry out those clothes while you're sleeping in the bag from your body heat. Basically, it's going to be like an oven and, and cook those dry. So you can take a pair of damp socks. Don't wear them. Just stick them down in the bag while you're sleeping, and when you pull them out the next morning, they'll be dry. And then when you, so that moisture is going somewhere, right? So it's probably going to the bag. That's just before you're leaving camp, if you're leaving camp up, make sure you unzip that sleeping bag, leave it open. So that thing's airing out, um, vent your tent. So there's some airflow going through. Don't leave it open in case it, it rains, but like make sure there's some air circulating in and out of that tent to keep everything dry. And then on the note of sleeping with your socks, if you cannot sleep with socks based on the temperatures, then don't. So your feet air out more, mm-hmm. but understood there's many times where I put on a fresh pair of socks and sleep in socks because it's that fucking cold. So it's, it's all going to be based on how cold it is in the, in what you're, what you're carrying. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we're on the same page and that's, a, I, I typically, I don't sleep naked when it's super cold. I do when it's, when it's super hot outside, but base layer beanie is a must, maybe a neck gator. Um, Cause at, at a minimum, you got to have those base layers dry if they're not already and that helps because like a lot of times if you, parts of your body will get uh you will actually like in a real good sleeping bag maybe like the part that's making contact with the ground like you start to sweat or like you know in between your legs or whatever and like that can also do some real bad stuff if you change positions and now that's exposed to like a you roll over or something and now your whole back is cold and if you have that base layer in your sleeping bag you didn't just sweat into your sleeping bag um, it's a base layer, which is in theory wicking and dries quickly. So it allows you to be more comfortable that way. Yeah. Not sweating and sleeping is also a real thing. So, uh, there's many a night where I'll just unzip my bag completely and just pull a whole leg out and just leave a leg sitting out there. If I'm in a 20 degree bag and maybe it's like right now in Colorado, it's weird. Um, cause at four in the morning, it'll, the temperature will plummet and it's cold as fuck. But then during the day it's, you know, 90 degrees. And so that's what, we're running into um, when I was, I just got back from the field and when I would first get in my bag, I would be sweating my tail off. And then in the middle of the night I would be shivering. To, so it just, one of those things you yeah. got to adjust your, your personal thermostat accordingly. Yeah. We were just camping last night up in uh, Mount Hermon at 9,000 feet. And I think it was a 35 degree temperature swing between uh, middle of the night and when we actually like from when we got up there at like a three thirty in the middle of the night, which is not insubstantial at all. Uh, no, it's a big swing. Well, and on the note of sleeping bags. So, uh, you need to have a sleeping pad as well. And this is something that drives me crazy in the army because so many of like my NCOs coming up are just, they, you know, it's the sleeping pads are known as puss pads, right? And it's like, Oh, I don't need that. Cause I don't, I'm tough. I'll just sleep directly in the ground. It's not about comfort. Like that is one thing. It's about insulation. The ground will suck heat out of you so fucking quickly. Like, yeah. Amen. Like it will pull the heat right out of you. And like when you've slept on the ground in cold temperatures directly, like you, you feel it, it just drains you. And so you need to have the insulation even during the summer. Um, and so the way they measure it, uh, the insulating properties on sleeping pads is called the R rating. And so um, there's different ones. And so I run, so everybody knows uh, Thermarest. That's like a really popular brand and they make good stuff. Um, but right now I'm using a brand called Climate. It's K-L-Y-M-I-T. And I really, really like their pads. 
Uh, they're super lightweight. Uh, they've been so far very durable. I've, I use them for the army and for uh, backcountry stuff. And they're the most comfortable pads I've slept on. I honestly sleep great when I sleep out. Um, and so I use the, the, there's two, there's a bunch of different models, but I use the static V and they have an insulated one and uninsulated one. And I've got one for the warmer months and one for the, the colder months. And the, the insulated one, I think has an R rating of six. Let me, I'm going to check real quick, but. Well, yeah, I use a, a climate static V as well. I mean, and, and then, yeah, I'm looking over your shoulder at the internet. I mean, it's like 40 bucks on Amazon and like you can side sleep on this thing on the ground, which is like pretty incredible, honestly. Not where, I mean, obviously we're talking about like survival, but there's a comfort level here. And if you're like a side sleeper, you can actually lay on your hips uh, and your side on, on, you know, in theory, some pretty hard ground with insulation in between you. They're 40 bucks and it folds up the size of like a Michelob Ultra can. I mean, it's kind of hard to beat, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely uh, incredible. I love them. Um, and I want to say, I can't, I can't find that online, but I think it's an R rating of six, which is actually really good. Uh, so it's a very insulating pad for when you're sleeping out. Uh, they also have a really great military discount as well for all of our military listeners. I think it's like 40 or 50% off, which is pretty sweet, but yeah. Um, there's a ton of different pads, Alps, make some really big pads, big Agnes, Thermarest. I mean, you can, it's really big what Agnes. Yeah. <laughs> to help a brand. Name. Yeah. <laughs> what, whatever, whatever your, your, your shit is that you like, but um, there's plenty of options. And like Nemo makes one like directly uh, for them. And, and you just got to try them out really is what it comes down to. But I like, I like the ones that are mostly blow up because they're just way lighter, but you need to have a patch kit if you're going to run those. Cause you pop that on a rock, you're going to be shit a lot. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the point about the the insulation with the with the ground. Um, comfort's one thing, and that's obviously you know that's nice for me. I am a side sleeper, Pete. To your point, and I know there there have been many a morning when I've slept on my side and woke up that next day, and your your hips are, are aching and your your shoulders a little tight. But um, yeah, in a in a in a situation where it's cold outside, um, and you're really doing your best to try to insulate your body while you sleep. It's, it's not about comfort. It's about that extra layer of, of, um, of insulation between you and the, and the ground surface. So. Oh yeah. Then I, I forgot to mention the, for the sleeping bags, I'm currently running the uh, Nemo scout 20 degrees synthetic. And then what I'm going to buy for my zero degree bag, I'm just waiting because it's expensive as fuck, but is the Kafaru slick bag, uh, the zero degree rating. Uh, Kafaru makes a really good synthetic sleeping bag as well. Um, very high end. It's like 500 bucks. So it's going to be a little bit pricey, but that's why I'm waiting to buy it. But there's a ton of sleeping bag companies out there that all make really good shit. So you just got to look way it. I mean, you could even go with a normal, one of the like normal backpacking brands for bags and for pads as well. But we can roll on to now we're kind of getting into some of the, uh, like miscellaneous things, right? That you just got in your pack. Like what, what's left? Okay, so um, I utilize. I got this tip from uh, I think it was Ranella. He talked about this long time ago in one of the podcasts, and it's the Osprey uh, roll organizer. And I love this thing. It's super lightweight, and it like unrolls, and it's it's a very good way for all like all the little things that you have in your pack that end up like getting stuffed in one pouch. It just keeps everything very well organized. And so within that, I've got my med kit. And so I keep a tourniquet on the outside of a pack 
and then I'll keep one. Um, if I know I'm going to be dropping my pack, I'll keep one on my somewhere on my person as well. So I usually have three tourniquets. And these are the, the cat tourniquets, combat application tourniquets. You can put them on one arm. It's what we use in the military. They're very popular these days. Um, most EMTs, paramedics, everybody's running them. I honestly used to like kind of laugh at my old man because he would use them all the time. But then my grandpa got his arm caught in a fucking hay baler, uh, chewed him up. He ended up having to get amputated right below the elbow or right at the elbow. And my dad saved his life with one of those cat tourniquets. So it's the type of thing that having them and then knowing how to apply them will literally save lives. I can't message that enough. It's one of those things that you're like, ah, it seems, seems like overkill. You're never going to need it. But the, the moment you do need it, you need to know that it's accessible. Like I say, know how to use it. Um, they're fairly common. I'm sure there's a million videos on YouTube where you can watch demonstrations um, for how to apply them. Like I said, it's that specific style has got the got the benefit of being able to to um, to use it. You know, one arm on yourself. Um, should you find yourself in that type of situation, that's one of those things. Don't risk it. Just you know, have a couple, have it accessible, train with it, be well worth it. The classic. Yeah, you don't need it till you do. <laughs> yeah, like, com- completely. And like, exactly. I've heard people say like, I don't need to carry a tourniquet because I can just make a field expedient tourniquet. And it's like, yeah, you think that and so not as fast as moment. that damn thing, N- not as fast and not as effective, man. Like no. your belt with a stick twisting it is not going to be as effective as the cat tourniquet. They don't weigh that much. Um, just, just bring one. I mean, you don't have to bring three. I do bring three because I want one in the med kit, one in the, on my pack on the outside and then one on my person. Right. And the, the, the rationale behind that is like, there's different echelons of care. So you've got like self-care or self-aid, buddy aid, and then getting them to somewhere else. And so um, with that echelon, like the one on my person's, that's kind of for me, the one on my packs for somebody else and the one on the med kits for when I get to the med kit and I start rolling if I needed another one. Because like a lot of times if you put one on and it's not working well, you don't take it off. You put another one on. And so one tourniquet isn't enough. Um, so let's say some guy gets a, a, a laceration to like his lower or like mid thigh, right? You got to worry about obviously like the uh, femoral if it's on the inside. And so you put one on, you hike it up, maybe like his pants bunch up. You can't get it all the way up to the, to the uh, groin, but you get it on to slow the bleeding down. And then once you continue on, then you would need to put another one on even higher. So that's why you kind of want some redundancy with your tourniquets. Um, the other thing I carry in my med kit. So I focus on stop the bleed. That's really what I care about, right? I'm not a fucking medic. I'm not a doctor. Like I need to get them stabilized and then I need to get them the fuck off the mountain. We need to get a helo out there. And so, um, I carry the tourniquets. I carry gauze, uh, leuco tape, and then surgical glue. Um, the surgical glue is just like, it's literally just three, like three M brand blue super glue. And that is like, if you had a, you know, big laceration, uh, skins flapped over, you throw that glue in there, you slap it back on, then you wrap it in the gauze, wrap it in the surgical, the, the leuco tape or whatever, and just keep that thing. Try to keep it as clean as possible. Um, I do have, I keep alcohol wipes. Um, I want to add, I just haven't found one because COVID is a, a small little spray bottle of antiseptic. That's something pretty small, just like a little pump spray. Uh, I need to add that to my kit this year, but that's pretty much, but I do have like the, uh, like the, the alcohol wipes that you use to like the prep pads before you get um, a shot or whatever. I carry a stack of those in there as well. 
if I could throw one in there for something that I've obviously never had like a serious injury in the field, but I, oh man, I think it was at Ranger School. I slipped off a log and had a, like a neuro from the log run up my shin and it had like a three inch gash uh, coming up my shin. And all they did was clean it out and put some like ointment in there. But had it not had some some type of antibacterial ointment, that would have been like a game, like a showstopper. I would have had to come out of it. And so while that's probably on the more likely versus worst case scenario end of the spectrum, that that kind of stuff will still keep you from completing your whatever, you know, journey or trek you're trying to do. Um, so I would just I, I would make a plug for a little bit of like bacitracin or antibacterial ointment um, to cover because that stuff, you know, if you get an infection and it will is just as likely to get you off the mountain as um a sprained ankle or you know like a cutting your finger off or something like that you know yeah 100 percent. little little thing like neosporin or something would actually be a, a good little addition there i think they also a lot of the the old school first aid kits don't they didn't they, a lot of times they had that old uh that like iodine and the little mm-hmm. dropper thing um yep. that you know it's like real dark kind of brownish colored um, you could probably pick that up for pretty cheap. Be a, a quick little antiseptic. Yeah, or if you just carry some bourbon with you, I think that probably covers your bases. In a well, lot there you of go. Respects, but yeah, I mean, a, a flask of whiskey is definitely <laughs> on on the packing list. I didn't mention it, but it's it's there. Um, but yeah, but then going off from medical kit, what else I have in this thing? Uh, uh, at least two, if not three, big lighters. All right, that's my go-to. I don't have any sexy ass, you know. I'm not out there with fucking steel and flint trying to make fires. Um, if I need redundancy in my fire making, I just bring another fucking lighter. Uh, and then I do for my final like emergency for fire is you can buy these uh, burn anywhere matches. These sons of bitches will like burn underwater and they burn for a long time. And I've got like probably 10 or 15 of those that I bring. I've never used one, um, but that's like kind of peace of mind that, if my whole pack fell in the, you know, if I'm doing a water crossing and I soak everything and the lighters are shot, I can at least strike these things and they will burn no matter what. Um, so I'll have, you know, the ability to at least heat some fire, have some warmth and then, you know, boil water if I had to. Um, headlamps, I carry two. I'm a big fan of Princeton Tech. I've got a lot of Princeton Tech headlamps. Uh, I put fresh well, I don't always, but you should put fresh batteries in when you go and then probably have at least one spare set of batteries. Batteries are heavy, so you don't want to overdo it and carry like fucking 10 of them, but having a spare set of batteries for, you know, each one of your things. If it's like one set for the uh, uh, stereo pen, you know, one set for each headlamp. Fucking on headlamps and having bought way more than I have ever wanted to, don't spend less than 30 bucks on one but you don't need to spend probably more than 50, I would say. And if, if it's like a $20 headlamp from Dollar General or the cheapest one on the rack, like you're probably going to replace it in about a week. Um, but if you don't, I don't know, uh, disagree with me if you want to, but you don't need to spend a whole ton of money on that. That middle price point is probably gonna, best bang for your buck there. Yeah, I've, I've spent $100 and it was my favorite headlamp and I fucking lost it. Just like I lose, I mean, I lose <laughs> headlamps constantly. So I, I agree 100%. Um, with Pete, like you can 50, 50 bucks is probably the sweet spot. You can get like a, a pretty heavy lumen. Uh, lumen is the measurement they use for the brightness. So you can get a probably about a thousand lumen headlamp, uh, which is a, a pretty bright one for, for about 50, $60, which is kind of that point I would recommend. 
um, and then have your spares be the cheaper ones. All right, what else do I got here? Uh, I've got a mirror um, sewing kit, your toiletries. So I, I keep a little camp mirror. Um, it's a small one. I don't even know that I've ever used it. Um, it's good if you're going to try to like, I don't know if you're, if you're using face paint or if you're trying to, if you ever had to do any signaling, you can use the ref, uh, reflection. I don't know that you would ever really need to do that, but it's there. But I mean, really it's good. Um, where I could see it like having is if you needed to look at a point of your body, like if you got like, you know, a thorn cactus, like somewhere that's kind of hard to see angle, you can use the mirror to help pull that out. And so like, that's, that's very useful for that. Um, I got cactus in my ass in Wyoming and I took me a little while to get all those fucking needles out. (laughs) Yeah. Look down before you sit down the glass. Um, a multi-tool and just a basic multi-tool is just very, very useful. I'll carry a multi-tool instead of like a pocket knife when I'm out just because um, they're, it's just nice. It's a versatile. Uh, baby wipes. I carry, actually now do two. I do, they, they make a lot of the shower wipes now uh, that I like to take because they, they're kind of a little more coarse. They will actually, so you can scrub your body better. They'll, they'll hold on. You're not just kind of moving all the dirt and grime around. I use a, a brand called Duke Cannon has like cold shower wipes. I really like those for the field. Um, and then I would just use a normal baby wipe to like wipe my ass and stuff. Uh, your kill kit. Okay. So, um, kill kit I use, I have, um, game bags, um, my knife, a small whetstone, and then depending on what it is, maybe a small Gerber makes a very lightweight little hand bone saw, uh, which I would take for elk, probably not for deer at this point. Um, where it's nifty is like the wanton waste laws are pretty strict out West. If you didn't know that you've got to like pull the meat off the ribs. You can't do what we do in the East where a lot of times we just like toss the ribs and shit. Like I mean, growing up, Perry, I've talked about, we used to toss shoulders. Like you cannot do that in the West. Like it's, it's illegal. So um, having the plan for how you're going to butcher is key. And so uh, within that kill kit as well is where I'll usually have, um, that's where I'll store my tags and shit so that gets there and so i also a marker have a marker so you can sign your tag that's something that a lot of people forget i know i have and then i use zip ties so i can secure the tag to the animal um that's key and then i'll have a couple small chem lights um those are like little glow sticks you crack them um i like those i have used those in the whitetail woods when i'm tracking i've never used them in the in west because i didn't really have to track my antelope but for looking for a blood trail when it's getting dark, I'll drop one of those at the last known point of blood. Um, so I'm not losing or I'm not leaving like a headlamp. And so when you're going and looking from there, you can get back to that blood so you don't lose it. And so I like the Kim lights for a trail for that. What type of game bags you run? I know there's a hundred different options out there now, but um, let me Google real quick. I think it's the brand is Alaska something. Yep, that's just the brand Alaska Alaska Game Bags. I have the elk ones and then the deer ones. Um, are they uh, are they the reusable ones, the washable ones, or are they disposable? Uh, they're washable. Um, I've heard they're a bear to wash. So depending on how fucked up they got, I don't know if I'd actually try it or not. I think you have to like soak them for a yeah. while to get all the blood out and then um, rinse them out. But I would probably give it a try to toss them in the uh, the washing machine, and then if they didn't come out clean, I'd just throw them away. 
Um, then GPS. So I don't currently, so I use my phone with Onyx right now. Uh, and so with that, you get all the capabilities of a GPS, um, but you can't transmit unless you have signal. And so that's like the big um, kind of deficiency there. So it's nice to have the GPS, have your phone, everything. And then when, with having your phone is you got to have a way to keep that phone running. So you run it on airplane mode with your GPS enabled, you can actually get some pretty long life. But I also carry the Anchor um, uh, batteries, the battery packs to charge off of. Uh, it's also good for cameras. Um, you can charge camera batteries. They're kind of heavy, but I mean, it just is what it is, right? And then I also have a solar trickle charger that I can plug into that battery if I'm going to go for an extended trip, which is kind of nice. Um, it'll help keep some charge and mitigate uh, the not having, you know, the ability to, to recharge batteries. Um, but this year, especially with the baby and everything, Caroline really wants me to get one of the GPS units. And so I think I'm going to end up getting a Garmin inReach. Uh, the nice thing about the inReach is one, you can text, you can send a text with it via satellite. So I can like check in with the wife, let her know where I am, how I'm doing. And the other thing that's really nifty is the SOS. And I think that's probably the most important part of it. Like I'm not really too worried about navigation. I know how to read a map. I know how to train to associate. I know how to utilize my phone for that if I need to, but it's really the ability to hit that SOS button. And I recently had a conversation, um, with one of my buddies who is a pretty experienced outdoorsman and kind of scoffed at the notion of needing a, this thing and that he was very experienced. And I was just like, man, like it doesn't matter. Like shit happens to anybody um, when you're out there, like you, complacency will fucking kill your ass. And so you can't just sit there and think like, Oh, I'm, I'm experienced. I'm not going to slip on a rock and fucking crack my ankle. Like you, you can get yourself into a bind just from sheer dumb luck and having the ability to have that out or if you have a buddy and you've, you know, they've laid open their leg and you got the tourniquets on, you got the, the bandage and you stopped the bleed. Well, now you got to get them evac out of there. Like having the ability to call that evac is very important in my opinion. Yeah. It's one of those things that doesn't really matter how comfortable you are in that situation, how much experience you have. Um, I know all of us here, we've spent ample time in the field, but it's like, you know, an analogy I was thinking about is what is it? The vast majority, like 90 some percent of accidents happen within, you know, 10 miles of your house. Vehicle accidents happen on roads you're familiar with the vast majority of the time because you are complacent. You're thinking about other things. Um, you're not necessarily focused. If you're in a situation like that and you're that far removed, having a, a GPS, um, having that SOS option in an absolute worst case scenario, could make a big difference shouldn't be a pride game at that point yeah i i agree and like that like you said about the doesn't matter how experienced you, you are like i'm obviously not as experienced as you guys but like the more um i don't know to translate it to something i do know i guess like the the more you get into I don't know, like endurance sports, the more humbled you get by just how much you don't know. I feel like the same probably applies to backcountry. Like there's probably uh, a series of like step learning curves where you, you, you fully acknowledge you don't know anything. You get your legs under you and it takes probably something bad happening um, for you to realize like, Oh shit, like turns out I don't know everything I thought I did. And so if you just kind of operate under the assumption of 
like always assume you don't know everything is probably a pretty safe bet. Um, I don't know. That, that, correct me if I'm wrong there, but it seems like that would apply. No, it's completely like there's so much that can go wrong, right? There's scenarios that you, you don't plan for and you don't anticipate. And you, and that's where having that, that out with that, with the SOS is, is huge. Cause shit just fucking happens. Like you can be the most trained dude on the planet and have the most experienced, like, and you just, there's like that one uh, dude that lived in the wilderness up in Alaska for years and years and years, some old mountain man. I don't remember the full story, but he was like a kind of a infamous kind of guy that just built his cabin and lived out this like, you know, subsistence type existence. And then they found him like dead, frozen to death in his cabin one day. Like that fucker knew more about like living out off the land than we could ever know. And then something got him. Like it's just how, how it is. So you definitely can't go into any of this thinking, you know, it all. Yeah. And and every additional tool that you can put in your tool belt, that's going to, you know, decrease the chances of that happening even by by a small margin which a gps with a sos signal is going to be a pretty big margin uh, that's you know that's that's one of the big themes of these of this series here these couple episodes is just give yourself give yourself options um be intentional about what you're what you're utilizing what you're thinking about and and uh when it comes to your gear and it's going to minimize minimize the chances of of um finding yourself in a bad situation. Yeah. And as far as the GPSs go, Garmin inReach is probably the most uh, common and popular right now, but there's a fairly new one called Zolio that just came out and I've heard, I haven't used it. I've no experience at all, but um, it syncs to your phone. And uh, this is my understanding. Somebody can write it in and correct me if I'm wrong, but basically it's like almost like a puck and then it syncs to your phone. And so you send your text and everything through your phone and there's like a, probably an app or something I would guess that like integrates it together. And um, one, it's easier to text on than the inReach, and two, it's a lot cheaper. It's about half the price. And so I, I've heard really good things about that. When I put a poll up on Instagram for folks to give me feedback on uh, what GPS device and Zolio got a, got a lot of good good reviews. Well, hell, there's a. I mean, we live in 2021. There's a ton of of options out there that you know. You could even some of the the higher end GPS watches, Garmin watches, um, make some good ones, and some others that have have some features that could could prove beneficial. May not be the same full functionality as one of these GPS units that you're talking about here, but um, there's plenty of options out there, uh, depending on what makes sense for you and one your budget and two the scenario you're going to find yourself in. You know, don't don't take it for granted. Yeah, hundred percent. And then the last thing I've just got on the list is just going to be like anything that's specific to your weapon. Okay, so if you're taking a bow, um, I would have some sort of Allen key set, uh, and then probably a little bit of wax for the string. Um, basically, just like a little maintenance kit. Some guys will take a really robust system out there. It's one of those things like I like to look at every item and like the likelihood that I'm going to need it. I've never had an issue. Granted, I've only done a couple backcountry bow hunts, but I've never had an issue with my like bow fucking up that bad. And honestly, if I just trashed it or something, I would just probably come off the mountain and reassess and and uh, do something else. So um, I just do would bring a basic kit. Same thing for um, if you're going out 
with a with a gun. All right, I would have a basic cleaning kit, and then definitely, definitely have some extra rounds because you never know. Like if you fall and you bump your scope, like you're gonna want to probably test it um, and do a real quick confirm zero. So. Uh, don't go out with just like the three rounds in the rifle. I would at a minimum probably go out with eight rounds because that gives you three, three rounds to uh, kind of correct zero and then five rounds for, for your hunting. So, um, and then muzzleloader, there's a whole list of bullshit you got to have for that. So I want to even tackle that one. Yeah, that's a, that's a solid list, man. Covered a lot of good stuff. Got anything to, to wrap us up here, Pete? Any Any final thoughts? Uh, no, man, I've just I've learned a lot. I'm uh, excited to build out a little bit more of my kit, uh, especially as I'm getting away from uh, doing just strictly Army stuff and, and trying to do more of my own stuff, whether it's, you know, backcountry hunting or uh, just backpacking, camping type stuff. It's a whole world that you can you start, just start peeling back the onion layer and it, you can re- you really get caught up in it. It's good good, cheap, cheap hobby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it's like we said, you know, you don't have to do it all at once. Don't, you know, no, no one out there listening. This is, we went through a ton of stuff and I think this is a great, I mean, you've, you've clearly put a lot of of thought into your kit, Luke. Um, But don't think that if you're just starting out, you got to go out and, and buy every single little last thing that we talked about here or, you know, get the, the, uh, the latest and greatest, best, most top end high, you know, expensive item out there. Um, you can build it as you go. That's the great thing about it. Um, and at the end of the day, be safe, but, you know, just get out there and and learn what you need. Um, you know, and, and start adding to that, that experience bank. That's what it's all about. Yeah, man. I was well said because you don't have to get all this all at once. Um, it, there are, you know, it's always going back to Aaron Steiner, but he talks about like the different phases of hunting. I've mentioned this in the past. It's like, there's like the poverty phase when you're just starting out and you can't afford shit. So you're just like making do with what you got and hand-me-downs or goodwill or sales and everything else. And then there's like the gear phase where you make all your money and you make some money and you start buying shit to buy shit. And then there's, then you start to like level out and you kind of know what you need. And that's, I'm kind of getting that point now. Like my pack just, so I don't really obsess over the weight. Like when I was backpacking, when I was younger, like I had like the Excel spreadsheets with the weight of every item. And then it was all about, is this item worth it for the weight? Now it's just like, I just need to take what I need to take. And like what it weighs is that's fine. Um, you know, I don't, I don't go overboard, right? Like my, like I said, my pack's usually around 50 to 55 pounds, uh, which is, that's very manageable for me. Anything heavier than that is pretty shitty for long distances um, on, you know, rough terrain. But uh, you just got to build out your loadout and then practice it. And then you're going to and then constantly reassess and reexamine, right? Look back. And if you go on two or three trips, unpack everything, lay it all out, and then be like, what have I not used in the past three trips? Like, I can probably get rid of this. Now, is it something like tourniquets and med kit? Like, no, you probably need to leave that. But is there... Like maybe it's my multi-tool. Like if, if I don't use that for three trips, maybe I don't actually need the multi-tool. Maybe I drop that down and only bring like a pair of tweezers or a pair of, you know, like something else to, to replace it if I want one level of functionality. But that's just something to, to think about. It's just, it's all about constantly evolving and reassessing. And this, there's going to be new kit that's always coming out, but sometimes it's all pretty unnecessary. Yeah. And, and certainly don't be afraid to tweak it. Don't be afraid to play with it. And, um, yeah, it's 
it's it's going to be trial and error, but that's hey, that's part of the fun of it, right? Oh yeah, I love it. I love just playing with everything, and I mean, I do like kit. I like new gear. I like you know playing with it and figuring out what works. I'm always I'm always chasing that like next best mouse trap. Um, somebody makes one that's better. Uh, it's cool. Well, cool, man. That's good stuff. Yeah, we can go ahead and wrap this one up, man. I'm fucking. Uh, this is fun though. This was a fun couple episodes to kind of get a little more technical, a little more, uh, I wouldn't say succinct, but at least organized than we usually are. But Pete, why don't you go ahead and let them, let them know your, uh, your Instagram, buddy. Yeah. I'm uh, at P W Sunderland on Instagram. That's P W S U N D E R L E N D. Um, like I said, last episode, not a lot of hunting content, but, <laughs> uh, plenty of lifting content. Uh, hit me up if you want to learn, uh, any more about the iDune tier or Magni programs that we're now offering on the Hunt Lift Eat website. Um, and yeah, excited to sit here. I'm learn from you guys. I'm honestly just kind of been quiet the last little bit thinking about all the stuff that like I probably am going to buy in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, it never, I, it never ends. I told my wife before, before this episode, she was like, yeah, what are y'all going to be talking about? It's like gear. Like, yeah, it's gonna be adding to the to the shopping list here. Getting <laughs> <laughs> getting some stuff ready for the upcoming season, man. That's every time I go down to that Texas camp uh, that I went to a couple times. Uh, these are all old retired military guys. Most of them own their own like contracting companies and shit now, so they've got all the toys. And so every time I go down there, I come back with a list of like, all right, I gotta get a suppressor, and I gotta get this pistol. And I gotta, <laughs> my wife's just like, what the fuck? You can't go down there anymore. <laughs> come back with a whole list of shit I need. I was like, all right, I need to get a thermal scope. Like I can't kill pigs without a thermal scope at night. Like I gotta get, you know, I gotta have it, babe. I'm yeah. sorry. I, gotta, I don't have a choice. Yeah, my hands are tied. I found this one on sale for $4,000. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a what great a deal. deal. It don't cost as much as my last truck. <laughs> Oh man, but shit, Perry. What's uh, what's your Instagram, buddy? Yeah, it's uh, Perry R Eisner uh, I S N E R. Um, hit us up. Let us know uh, what you liked from the gear gear episodes here. Um, if there's anything that that Luke stupidly left out, let him know for sure. And um, yeah, appreciate all the support, guys. Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, you guys can find my personal page at luke.d.cox and then hit up the brand page at HuntLiftEat Official. Head over to HuntLiftEat.com to check out all the apparel. Go check out the training programs that we launched a couple weeks ago uh, that Pete worked his ass off on. We have the free program, iDune, that if you're not familiar with it, it's a four-week program. That's an on-ramp program to kind of get you ready for the uh, the core programs that we're going to be offering. Um, and we've also got the Magni, which is the Strength and Endurance Program. And then we've got the follow-on to iDune, which is tier. That's our mountain prep program. So as we sit here and talk about backcountry hunting, that is the program that is going to set you up uh, to physically be ready to go tackle the mountain. So we highly recommend that one. Um, but if you like more barbell work, lifting heavy, but still hitting the endurance, definitely uh, head over and check out the Magnite program. That's the one I'm currently doing, and it's a, it's a fucking awesome program. But um, – we got a lot of stuff in the works right now. We're already developing the fall apparel line. Uh, we just got, we're expanding into um, a whole new distributor or uh, not a distributor, but a manufacturer for all of our apparel, which I really think is going to take us kind of to the next level as far as our quality and kind of the professional look of everything. So we're really excited about all that. So definitely uh, keep uh, keep an eye out for all that shit. It should be coming probably in uh, like two months, I think. And uh, we've got, 
um, a lot more in the works with as we're expanding out the podcast. We want to bring on some more guests. We're trying to get some guests that you guys might have actually already heard of and know. And so hopefully coming into the fall, we're going to really uh, have some some better content coming up. And we're also going to start working on some of our video stuff, which we've been talking about for a year now. But I think in the fall, we're actually going to be able to start producing a lot of that content. But as always, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. Thank you so much for all the support and all you guys do for us.